Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, June 5th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, we are in Tony's week. We are officially less than a week away from this ceremony that we still don't really know what it's going to be. We have heard that they had written the script pre-writer's strike. I don't know if that is still going to be used based off of the agreement that the WGA made with the different producing bodies of the Tony Awards. I'm excited just to see what it is. It will probably be even more messy than it normally is, but that is half the fun of the Tony Awards. So I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to have a couple of special Tony Awards related episodes coming up in your feed throughout the week. So if you want to check those out, head over to patreon.com slash broaderyradio, broaderyradio.com slash Patreon. Now, Grace, before we get into the news, I do want to mention that as we are recording on Sunday, it is the final day on Broadway for Bad Cinderella. That show has had uh, a fairly rough run, even from its start over in London as just Cinderella. But we certainly want to wish everybody who was a part of that show and everybody who loved it uh, the best on this sad but hopefully celebratory day. And because we are getting to the Tonys, we have a number of shows closing over the next few weeks that I want to remind you of. Both A Doll's House and The Thanksgiving Play close next weekend. A Doll's House on Saturday and A Thanksgiving Play on Sunday. Then on the 18th, both Prima Facie and Summer 1976 close. And then we have three more shows. More on that here in a minute. Closing on July 2nd. So there's a lot of things coming out. I updated my real estate spreadsheet grace over the weekend a lot of moving parts but there's a lot of theaters that we don't know where things are going to be you know what 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 they're going to be filled with but pretty excited to see what gets announced and when things go in there in the coming weeks and months all right let's get into the news on thursday night we had the gray house officially open on broadway at the lyceum theater we didn't do a review recap episode because we're in a new season and i have family in town and all that stuff so we didn't get into it but to remind you this is a new play written by levi holloway directed by joe mantello with a really fantastic cast led by laurie metcalf tatiana Meslani, paul sparks sophia ann caruso millicent simmons Cindy Coyne and others. The show, as of recording time, has lodged 11 reviews, according to the review aggregator site, Did They Like It? Five were positive, six were mixed, and at least none were negative. In terms of the plot description, the show is described thusly. When a couple crashes their car in the mountains, that's Sparks and Maslani, they seek shelter in an isolated cabin. Its inhabitants, though somewhat unusual, are eager to make their guests feel right at home. But as the blizzard outside rages on and one night turns into several, the couple becomes less and less sure of what's true about their hosts themselves and why that sound in the walls keeps getting louder. Now, Grace, this has been described as a show that is like bringing true horror to Broadway in a way that we don't really see very often, if ever. So... If that is kind of your jam, if you like those types of movies and stories and books and TV shows, this might appeal to you more than it does to some other folks. But let's get into the reviews, starting with Jesse Green of The New York Times, who was mixed, saying, quote, Four strange girls, somewhere between 12 and 200 years old, live in an isolated cabin in the woods. 
Marlo, Sophia Ann Caruso, is the Alpha bossing the others around and also bossing the stranded outsiders because, of course, there are stranded outsiders in a play that trades in the tropes of a million horror tales. Greyhouse is certainly an in-your-face assault, more in the manner of John Carpenter movies than anything seen on stage since the age of melodrama. It is so expertly assembled from spare parts by the playwright Levi Holloway and director Joe Mantello that you may not notice, between the jump scares and the shivery pauses, how little it has on its mind. Something about cycles of abuse, the legacy of misogyny, sure, let's go with that. But mostly, let's go with the freak-out fun of the four telekinetic weirdos and their den mother, Raleigh, played by Laurie Metcalf, in a stringy salt-and-pepper wig that's almost as frightening as she is. Green wraps up his review saying, quote, But what makes the effort meaningful to artists, Holloway began thinking about the story after a family tragedy, may not make it meaningful to us. And though the theater is already a kind of haunted house filled with odd beings and strange noises, horror may simply work better in a less live medium. When Max and Henry, the couple played by Sparks and Meslani, show up at the cabin unaware that anyone is there, they look around at the spooky surroundings, listen to the wind howling, and somehow find it all so familiar. I've seen this movie, Henry says, which is the problem exactly. Run through a couple other reviews. Broadway News' Brittany Samuels was positive, saying, quote, At times, the psychological slow burn of this new dark comedy moves at a snail's pace, lethargizing the play's momentum and stretching entire scenes beyond comprehension. But Greyhouse cracks open in its final moments, and by its end, the play accomplishes what only the best of its genre is able to do. It reminds us that the scariest monster of all lives in mankind. Entertainment Weekly's Emmalyn Travis was mixed, saying, quote, While the eerie beginning may draw inspiration from tried-and-true horror tropes, Greyhouse, which recently opened at the, at the Lyceum Theater on Broadway, succeeds in subverting both the genre and audience expectations by weaving together a haunting story of horror and heart. Unfortunately, Holloway's puzzle box mystery doesn't give viewers all the clues they need to fully comprehend the tragic tale it's trying to tell. And finally, I'll wrap up with Variety's A.D. Amorosi, who was positive, writing, quote, The script can drag and the metaphors pile higher than Jenga blocks, but the oblique text of Greyhouse never lacks for intrigue and edge-of-your-seat fascination, and the show's fine cast and creatives do their best to make it all less impenetrable. This was a show, Grace, that I was supposed to see when I was in town the other week, but because of an illness in the cast, I didn't get to see it. You know, the reviews are mixed, and I'm not normally a horror person, but just being able to see this group of people on stage doing something that we just don't see on Broadway very often is certainly enough to get me to go over to the Lyceum when I'm back in town for us to go see a concert together uh, in early to mid-August. Yeah, I I gotta say, it's not a horror play. <laughs> um, really? I mean, yeah, I, I think what's interesting is that there's been kind of like this big wave of like, uh, people are saying that like, it's this horror, like the horror is in the text. The horror is in what the story is is telling. Um, the real horror is being a woman and being alive, to be frank. Um, the horror is not, there's no jump scare. There is some, a little bit of a, a gory portion of it, but it's, I don't want people to hear the word horror play and not go because I am not a horror film person. I don't even like watching parts of misery. You know what I mean? But I watch it because I love the psychological nature of it. Um, I, I believe that this play, because, because there is no other horror play on Broadway, it totally makes sense that like they're you know leaning into that kind of vibe of saying like this is the scariest thing 
the scary part is not the thing that you think is the scary part. The scary part is when you understand what the story is about. And it's brilliantly told. And I think that that text should be read and read and read over and over and over again. I think that Levi, Levi did such an incredible job of guiding the audience through what they thought was um, spooky, scary, and then turn into no reality is more terrifying um and and what that story might mean and the and the cycle of abuse and like there will always be more children there will always be more women there will always be always be more stories um i think that that is the crux of it and what's interesting is the demographic of the people reviewing totally makes sense that they might have missed this. <laughs> Sure. Um, There were a couple women. I tried to get a couple women in there. Yeah. No. And I appreciate that. It was just interesting to me that as soon as we, you know, the show ended, I was, I was with a couple of friends. We were very fortunate to, to see kind of like a, a sneak preview and get to, you know, hear some words from the playwright before the show. It was such an honor to go. Me and a couple of other uh, women were bawling our eyes out. And then there were other people going, well, that was so cool. And I was like, yeah, we, we saw two different plays and that's okay. You know, I love that art can do that, but it, it is fascinating that, um, the continued, like, you know, rhetoric of like, you really want to be freaked out. And I'm like, no, I was traumatized. <laughs> yeah. I remember so, talking, we talked about it after you saw it. Yeah. There was no warning. Um, they just, you know, everyone kept saying like, oh, it's a scary, you know, it's, it's a horror play. It's scary. And I'm like, Okay, but like there's a very big difference in like that and the, the other. So that's all. That's all I want to say. It's very interesting. I, I I really I don't know if I loved it. I think I loved it like in a scary way. So. Yeah, I, I again, I don't watch a ton of horror like you don't. But I think the the horror films and even TV shows to a lesser degree that really transcend from just being like a grindhouse type thing to being something that is appreciated on another level, like elevated horror, which is a phrase that they use a lot in entertainment these days, certainly taps into actual meanings and messages that have real life resonance, which it sounds like this does. So uh, that's really I do want to say whenever people say the phrase elevated horror, it implies that horror is not automatically like worth uh, respect. Sure. And so I just yeah, I, I've just always been mindful recently of, of a lot of creators saying like, they don't appreciate when people are saying elevated horror because it implies that like that genre isn't, it's like saying elevated musical theater. It's like, well, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. All right. Well, let's move on to some other news. This was a, 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 a story that really perked up at the end of last week. It was actually originally reported by the New York Times, but it was buried down in the story about the Alicia Keys musical that you and Ashley talked about coming to the public theater. And this is the fact that the public theater is putting an end or at least putting the revered experimental theater festival, the Under the Radar Festival, on an extended hiatus. So it was in that same story in which Oscar Eustace talked about the fact that due to financial difficulties having to do with putting on a festival with you know, hundreds of, of different companies throughout the years from all over the world coming in that they're going to shut it down. Now, Oscar Eustace, the artistic director of the public theater, did say, quote, it's entirely a financial decision. This does not mean the public is abandoning its relationship with downtown experimental artists, but we're going to be looking for a new way of embodying that. The Under the Radar Festival has been going on for 18 years. It is programmed work from 229 companies from 42 countries around the world. And that's where a lot of artists like 
uh, Youngjin Lee, Daniel Fish, Taylor Mack have done uh, a lot of their work. Elevator Repair Company, Belarus Free Theater, Waterwell. So many companies that we know now as kind of being the bastions of experimental theater have been presented there and in a lot of ways got their start there. This is there's a great piece by Deep Tran uh, from Playbill who kind of talks about the fact like this is just the latest in experimental theater whether it's festivals or theater companies being shut down due to, in part, the pandemic and then financial implications of the pandemic coming out and, and you know, potential recession and all of those things. So um, we talk about the Under the Radar Festival every year here on Broadway Radio. This is really sad and disappointing for a lot of artists who have kind of moved away from doing this type of theater just because there aren't a whole lot of opportunities to have it done in a way that can be financially viable. And with the public theater pulling out of this festival specifically, but perhaps in the future, not necessarily just experimental theater in general. This really is a a hit to those theater makers and the the audiences as well who love them. Yeah, I saw a lot of um, artists and writers uh, talking about this and I had no idea. Um, It's always upsetting, but we obviously know that like they have a dedication to like the the theater itself has a dedication to emerging artists and whatnot. And this was probably not an easy decision to make. Um, So I just, I feel for everybody. In some other theater administration news last week, it was announced that the American airlines theater will be renamed for the second time. Originally when the theater opened in 1918, it was the Selwyn theater. And then After being a movie theater for many years in the late 90s, the Roundabout Theater Company, under the direction of Todd Hames, reopened the theater as the American Airlines Theater, and Hames, who passed away in April, will now be the namesake for this theater. It will be rechristened the Todd Hames Theater at some point this fall. We don't exactly know the dates. The Roundabout season is, is, they've announced the shows, but haven't exactly announced the dates for all of those, so it'll be rechristened at some point this fall. Um, the Danny DeVito and Lucy DeVito play I Need That is coming up this fall somewhere in October, we believe. So pr- presumably it'll have something to do around that date. So a, a nice honor for somebody. I've always been a fan, Grace, of uh, naming theaters after people whose names otherwise might not be remembered. Um, I totally understand with like the Lena Horne Theater and the James Earl Jones Theater and even the Stephen Sondheim Theater, like those recent renames, like those make sense because they're huge luminaries. But like no one's going to forget Stephen Sondheim or Lena Horne or James Earl Jones. So I like the idea of people who have made huge contributions to the theater, having their names on theaters. So while I don't begrudge those other theaters being renamed by any means, this is the type of rename that I think makes sense uh, because otherwise Todd Hames would be a name that only a, a limited number of people would know in the decades and in, in, in years to come. Speaking of the American Airlines Theater, uh, let's get into some show and casting news. Uh, on Friday, yeah, on Friday, it was announced that Fat Ham, which is not a roundabout theater company production, but is currently playing the Air- American Airlines, announced that it would be extending by one extra week. The show will now play through July 2nd. Presumably, there could be a- another extension. Like I said, there's no show scheduled to be in there until I need that later this fall. So if they wanted to do more and the sales uh, warranted it, they could do that. The sale, uh, the tickets for this extension go on sale today at 10 a.m., depending on when you are listening to this on Monday. In some other news, Baz Vama Boy of Deadline reported that two fairly big movie stars are returning to the stage. Kristen Scott Thomas and Lily James will join forces in a new play called Lioness by Penelope Skinner. It's going to be directed by Ian Rickson. It'll play London's West End Harold Pinter Theater. 
sometime this fall, late September or early October dates have not officially been determined. These two have worked together in a couple of movies, Darkest Hour and Rebecca, but it'll be the first time that they are on stage together. Sonia Friedman Productions will produce. In other news, back in New York, it was announced something that, Grace, you know I would be at if I was in New York. But at the exact same time that Waitress Live on Broadway is going to debut at the Tribeca Film Festival, it will also be screened on the 18,000 square foot digital screen in Times Square that's owned by TSX Entertainment. That'll happen on June 12th at 7.30 p.m. You can watch it and then you can listen to the audio through TSX's mobile app. Very excited about this. We still don't know if it's going to end up streaming, if it's going to end up in movie theaters, a Fathom event thing. Obviously, film festivals are where things often get sold uh, for distribution. So hopefully something comes out about that after it premieres at Tribeca. And then some other real quick show and casting news. Lilius White has announced that she is going to be extending her run as Hermes in Town. She was originally only going to play through yesterday, through Sunday. She is now going to continue for now through a final date to be announced later. And Chicago will be welcoming, welcoming in a new cast of principals. Many of them have already been in the show, including Charlotte D'Ambois coming back as Roxy Hart on June 12th. Dillis Croman will play Roxy in um, the meantime. Jennifer Fouché will play Matron Mama Morton. Ryan Silverman as Billy Flynn and Evan Harrington as Amos Hart. They will all begin on June 5th. And finally, Grace, something that I know you did on Friday afternoon as you went over to the Richard Rogers Theater for a little ham for ham action. Um, I've got all the videos for this in the show notes, but do you want to give your play by play from being right there? I know you didn't have a great seat, but you were certainly there. Were you there oh, no, for no, no, Anne no. Juliet purposes? I I had a crazy seat. Um, I was there for, I mean, there were quite a few shows that I get to work on uh, involved in that one. Good Night Oscar, New York, New York, Anne Juliet. Um, there were quite a few people in, in the room where it happens at the Richard Rogers. So thank you again to the press room for um, allowing all of those uh, people that, you know, work very hard on, on those shows to, to also like be able to capture that magic for the shows. Um, because rehearsal was kookaluku. Um, I, I, it was just, it was just magical to hear them sing light inside the Richard Rogers, like, you know, uh, from, from New York, New York. Yeah. From New York, New York, you know, with, uh, Sarah Bareilles chiming in to sing along with Anne Juliet. It was just kind of nuts. Um, it was, it was crazy. And then they fed us out into, like a secured kind of like pit in front of the uh, barricade, which was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was so, there the week before. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, it was it was crazy, but it was also awesome. And like it was the last one, like Oscar Isaac introducing uh, along with Rachel Brosnahan, the Angelia team. And then you had Sean Hayes as a surprise guest playing uh, piano. It was just really, really fun. It was it, and and I I have a video of um, Lynn in rehearsal, and I'm forgetting his quote now, but I have to go back to it. And he was basically saying, you know, we're all in the same thing. We're all friends. Like, <laughs> we all, you know, we all do this stuff together. And, you know, having Corey Hawkins, like, lead mm -hmm. the clap for everybody, you know, the, the song from Aunt Juliet. It was just kind of like, yeah, everybody's in this together. Like, having Jordan E. Cooper in there as well. Um, Yeah, the whole cast of Ain't No Mo, another one. Um. It was just kind of a family reunion. And I thought, you know, if this doesn't happen at the Tonys, it, it won't. And, and it probably won't. You know what I mean? Like with with how, you know, challenging all of that stuff is. 
this might be the only time where this amount of artists are in this room that are nominated currently and all that good stuff, right? Uh, besides like the nominee lunch and all that stuff in a more casual, like fun setting um, where the stakes aren't as high. So I, I just think it was really, it was really beautiful to see and be a part of. And the only, I mean, I, the only time I've been to Ham for Ham was the 45 times I went pre-pandemic, like at the beginning <laughs> of Hamilton. Yeah. So I hadn't been since everyone kind of knows what Ham for Ham is, like low, like, like nationally, you know what I mean? Um, so it's just kind of funny. It was just, it was, it was really magical. So yeah, watch all those videos. I'm having to watch them. So I know what happened. I, (laughs) you're a little bit shoved into a corner. You were like, you were like baby in a corner, right? Yes. And it's so funny because the, the reason was, was because there were so many people involved in the performances that they blocked the view as they should because they were all there. Right. So it wasn't like anybody's fault. It was just kind of hilarious circumstance of like, well, yeah, like they're all going to watch their friends do stuff too. So um, it was just, it was great. It was fun. Yeah. So to go over who performed, it was, uh, as you mentioned, the cast of New York, New York and Juliet, as well as many of the cast members from Into the Woods. We had introductions and appearances by Sean Hayes, Jordan E. Cooper and the cast of Ain't No Mo, uh, Corey Hawkins, who, as you mentioned, he was there kind of representing Top Dog Underdog, but he was also one of the stars of the In the Heights film. So there was a nice little Lynn connection there. Um, Haran Abbasakara from Life of Pi was also there. Rachel Brosnahan, Oscar Isaac, Miriam Silverman. Lynn also shouted out Helen Park, the K-pop composer, and Lynn Hanau, who is the star of Bad Cinderella. So lots and lots of really cool stuff happening at the Richard Rogers, And that is the last one from the 2023 season. They were going to highlight all of the best musical and best musical revival shows or nominees for the Tony. So they uh, did that. So check out all those videos if you didn't get to see them. And before we wrap up one more set of review or of, uh, of feel good recommendations, Grace, your friend and mine, Ashley Hufford is a lifelong devotee of Marie's crisis. The sing along musical theater, piano bar And apparently they had a very special night to celebrate uh, Some Like It Hot, mainly because Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman originally met at Marie's Crisis. So both Shaman and Whitman were there. They played, uh, Mark Shaman played the piano and they had a few special guests come along. And normally video is not allowed at Marie's Crisis, but they did make an an exception for this. And Ashley, who is a great uh, theater TikToker, has some videos. The two she put up, well, the three, she had one where where Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman are telling the story of how they met in Marie's crisis. But then the two performances are the great Annie Golden singing Good Morning Baltimore while Mark Shaman is at the piano. The other one is Shoshana Bean, who was in Hairspray off and on many, many times over the years uh, on Broadway. She sings Fly, Fly Away from another uh, Shaman and Whitman show, Catch Me If You Can. And this is one of my favorite songs, a Carrie Butler original, and it's just... Shoshana sitting on the piano and belting her heart out because it is one of the best songs there. So if you haven't seen these videos somewhere else, Ashley is literally within arm's length, uh, arm's length of Ash of uh, of Shoshana and Annie. So check those out. Also follow Ashley because she's a, a a great social media theater person to to have in your feeds. But uh, have you seen those videos, Grace? Yes, I did. I did just to watch it for Shoshana. Um, I know video is not normally allowed, but I'm glad that they got permission for that. Um, yeah, it's 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 just uh, it makes you so joyful. Absolutely. 
All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on all forms of social media for the time being at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody, have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful Tony week. Don't forget to check out all of our stuff in both feeds here and on Patreon. And we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. 